0: Então nosso trabalho é pautado no dialogue com as comunidades. O
1: so our work is based on dialogue with communities by understanding, listening to them and proposing solutions. But the decisions are made from the communities. We are advisors and we work in the fight for rights, which created a bond of trust. We are in a continuous construction based on dialogue and respect for cultures. We are in a continuous construction, focused
0: on dialogue and respect the cultures.
2: Energy sovereignty,
3: sustainability,
2: and resilience
3: are central components to global climate action,
2: the protection of Mother Earth,
3: and the safeguarding of generations to come.
2: Hello, Tansé, everyone, and welcome back to yet another fabulous episode of Decolonizing Power. I am your co-host, Ms. Guffman James Harper. I'm originally from Surgeon Lake Cree Nation in Treaty 8 territory, joining you here from Treaty 1 territory in my home here in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'll let uh, my other co-host here, Freddie, introduce herself.
3: Hi, hi, and thank you so much, James. Tansé, and hello, everyone. My name is Freddie Upe-Campbell. And I would like to begin by thanking the Algonquin Nation for the opportunity to live and work on their unceded, unsurrendered traditional territories. I am incredibly grateful to be able to connect with these lands and continue my learning journey of past and present defenders of them. I am very excited to be on this episode today. It is a really special one, as we'll hear about a project done by and with the Xingu people, an indigenous community in Brazil. And we are so grateful to have one of my good friends and colleagues, Layane Fernandes de Sumara. She is from Brazil. Uh, she's just an incredible person, uh, very intelligent and hardworking, and all of her passion shines through her work and her voice. And she'll be sharing the story with you all today. So I would like to give her a moment to introduce herself.
1: Thank you so much for such a warm introduction, Freddy. My name is Layani, and I'm the coordinator for Generation Power. I am particularly excited about this episode because I'm originally from Brazil and I really appreciated the opportunity to share a little bit about the story of my country. This interview was recorded with Marcelo Martins, who worked for the Clean Energy in the Xingu project. This little project is located in the Xingu indigenous territory, which is in the northeast of the state of Mato Grosso.
2: Obrigado, Leane, and it's so nice to have you with us today. Just to recap, last episode, we concluded our journey to Scotland with a visit to the Isle of Egg. Special guest Lucy Conway shared her experience and her journey in establishing clean energy projects in her community.
3: This is an incredibly unique episode because the interview was conducted completely in Portuguese by Leane. So she interviewed Marcelo Martins, who worked on Programa Shingu, or the Shingu program. And in order to share this story with our listeners today in English, James and I will be asking the questions for the remainder of the episode. And you will hear Marcelo's voice in Portuguese, it will fade in and out uh, to Leone's translation. We will also post the entire conversation in Portuguese for those who are interested. I think that's all, let's jump right into the interview. I would like to express a warm welcome to our guest today, Marcelo Martins. I will let him introduce himself and share a little bit about his involvement with the Shingu community in Brazil.
0: Okay. Então, eu cumprimento, assim, todo mundo que está acompanhando esse podcast. E aqui eu me apresento, sou Marcelo Martins.
1: Okay, so I'd like to say hi to everyone who's following this podcast, and I want to introduce myself. I am Marcelo Martins. I am an agronomy engineer, and I work at the Instituto Socioambiental, an organization that is acting over 27 years to defend the rights of indigenous peoples and traditional communities in Brazil. This organization works directly in the field, in the basins of the Xingu River and the Rio Negro River, that are located in the Brazilian Amazon, in the southeastern of Brazil. So I'm going to talk a little about my experience in my work that I do at Xingu. The Xingu is right in the center of Brazil, and it was the first designated indigenous land. Xingu is 60 years old in April 2021, and there are 16 different peoples living there. There are approximately 7,000 people and 110 different villages or communities. Hence, my work is based on the development of forest product chains, sustainable products that are non-timber and that the indigenous communities produce. They produce to access the market or they also use the products for themselves. I work to improve those processes and understand them, but many of those solutions they already have, so those are topics that we work with and that also involves organization, technology, and access to the market. Over time, I also began to work with energy. The access to energy is a reality and a growing need in communities, mainly to access water and also for health issues. Because as the population grows, there is a need to have appointments in certain places. This access has been fundamental in this pandemic, because
0: the treatments are being offered inside the communities. <inaudible>
2: <inaudible> Thank you so much for your introduction, Marcelo. And it's so nice to hear more about you and the work that you do. And, and just a to, just to comment too, um, you're highlighting on energy access for all. Uh, which you know, SDG seven, Sustainable Goal number seven, access to affordable and clean energy for all, um, definitely something that we continue to strive towards. And I appreciate your perspective here, uh, because not only are you shedding light on the need for access to energy, but also shedding light on the multiple intersectionalities that access to energy brings. Um, but even in this day and age, access to to healthcare. Uh, and making sure that uh, pharmaceuticals and medicines remain uh, refrigerated, for example, and maintain their shelf life—all um, of that, you know, very important uh, perspectives to keep in mind, especially in this in this day and age. So, I, so I appreciate that a lot, and I'm really looking forward to diving in deeper, I guess, into into learning more about the kind of work that you do. Uh, and so, in that way, I'm just wondering. Uh, I guess, when this project began, why were you interested in it and working in clean
0: energy? So,
1: my interest comes a little bit from the knowledge I gained at the university, where I had the opportunity to learn some technologies for the use of waste and how to take advantage of small watercourses that generated energy in order to bring autonomy to the communities and at the same time, providing them with benefits. For example, biodigesters that process waste and residue to transform it into gas and fertilizers. So we traveled through Brazil observing potential conditions in each region that can be transformed into energy. And this can make life easier for rural communities or communities that are isolated from the energy grid and the distribution that it has in Brazil. In the year of 2013, I was already by the Shingu, and we had the opportunity through projects to expand this base and create conditions for local generation. I was already studying the potential of energy generation with biomass using small coconuts called macauba in the Amazon. Other sources of vegetable oils, biomass from water courses, not dams, but flow turbines that lie on top of the river and also the photovoltaic. With these studies, it was understood that the photovoltaic would be the best option for local conditions in Xingu. But we have to see that in the Amazon, there is a possibility for all sources. Each region has its potential. So this aroused my interest and I started working with projects in this direction with the movement of technologies and the alternatives for energy access in indigenous communities. So, this
0: meu my interest eu passei a a with projects in this direction. Desenvolvimento de tecnologias e alternativas de acesso à energia in comunidades indígenas.
3: It's so interesting to hear about all the different sources of energy available in the Amazon and the real conscious effort to find what works best for each region through that collaboration with the community members. So thank you for sharing, Marcelo. Um, how did you and your institute work to build and strengthen the relationships with this
0: community? então nosso trabalho é pautado no dialogue com as comunidades.
1: O so our work is based on dialogue with communities by understanding, listening to them and proposing solutions. But the decisions are made from the communities. We are advisors and we work in the fight for rights, which created a bond of trust. One of our precursors institutions already has a very large work with indigenous rights. In the documentation, knowing the communities, and also disseminating the indigenous ways of life. So our work, both of the institution and mine, is another piece in this relationship that has come from years. We are in a continuous construction based on dialogue and respect for cultures. This
0: is great
2: because here we are arriving yet at another important lesson uh, in this series and Decolonizing Power, uncovering what that really means. Um, and yet another important piece of that is what you're saying here, bringing that Indigenous knowledge, that way of knowing into the existing world as we know it today. Um, I think that in general, the current climate situation we're all in, even the current uh, health situation we're all in, I'm very convinced that uh you know, our world and our society would definitely be better with greater uh, integration of indigenous knowledge and and ways of knowing. And so so I thank you for that, by the way, because this is essentially, again, decolonizing power. You are doing that work. And it's it's really awesome to hear that. So in that way, knowing that, uh, you know, projects always have balance, and always making sure you were mentioning that you know technologies are based on the availability of the resources. For example, there's no one size that fits all, and we have to con- carefully consider the the consequences of each project as well. I was just wondering if you could speak to the impacts of your projects in the community and the surrounding environment.
0: Para o desenvolvimento local, a gente já, já havia planejado, né? Que são essas ações que potencializam
1: so for local de development, existentes. I had already planned that. They are these actions that enhance the existing productions. For example, to produce honey, to produce pequi, oil, which is a regional fruit of Cerrado, but also occurs in the Amazon, and to produce pepper and art crafts. So somehow, energy has already brought a contribution to these activities. Another surprise that wasn't thought of about the impact of energy is the fact that it enabled night teaching in schools because we do not imagine this possibility. But adults, they do not have the time to study during the day, right? So they began to have specific training during the night in some schools. It shows the possibility to use energy for night education in other places as well. This brings another field that we are perceiving during this pandemic, that is the demand for online education. So access to energy also makes this possible. The internet access during this period has also expanded. Therefore, there were more accessible plans and technologies that arrived at the remote regions of Brazil, which was possible via satellite internet. Energy has been fundamental for this internet access during the pandemic because it also decreases isolation. There is also another secondary impact, that is health security. So during the pandemic, there was a need to develop unit facilities called UAP, that means units of indigenous primary care. They are health centers of medium complexity that allow the primary care of COVID-19, and that solves most of the cases. access to energy is critical in these units because they have oxygen concentrators to improve breathing, inhalers, and some other equipment that needs constant energy. So they were installed in a great effort that we made together with supporters in some parts of the territory in order to provide primary care in the fight of COVID-19. Another surprising point is that the families began to organize themselves to buy photovoltaic equipment. They saved their money and they were also seeking technical guidance, both with the local technicians and with us in order to buy good equipment. So they buy the equipment that are later installed by the local technicians themselves. Another point of great contribution was to public policies, including the policy called More Light to Amazon. We join a network of partners that is called Energy for Communities, that are organizations with similar situations and with points in common.
0: We uma rede a network of partners, denominada Energia Comunidades, that are organizations with similar situations, with points in common.
3: Wow, those are some really incredible impacts that maybe wouldn't be normally connected with energy. I know. James mentioned it earlier, connecting with health. um, And it's been talked about in other points of this podcast series. But it's so, so neat, especially to hear the night school um, piece of it coming in uh, and being able to offer that, which it might not have been offered before if it wasn't for the access to energy and in a crisis like COVID and what may be other crises coming forward or different natural disasters, energy becomes so important and having that um, off-grid remote energy is so huge. So it's, it's definitely a, an investment, but having that community buy-in in a project, it clearly just has so many benefits. Uh, and speaking of these investments, we're going to take a moment to thank our wonderful funders of this series. We would like to take a moment to express our gratitude to all of the Indigenous and global community members, national Indigenous organizations, key governments, clean energy and development assistance agencies, microgrid developers, utilities, academic institutes, and other organizations who have contributed to this podcast.
2: A particular expression of appreciation to Natural Resources Canada and the Clean Energy for Remote Communities team for supporting this podcast and Indigenous clean energy projects and programming from coast to coast to coast.
3: I would also like to express a deep gratitude to the ICE team. Thank you for the support and the collaborative effort on this project. And thank you all for your tireless work to take action and make changes for an inclusive and just clean energy transition.
2: So bringing us back to the interview now, Marcelo, uh, just, just also a comment on on your previous uh, previous remarks. There, um, we have a SDG count of about four at the moment. You are not only talking about uh, good health and well being, and clean water and sanitation, climate action, but we're also talking about quality education. Yet another important piece of what energy really unlocks. And you are also highlighting partnerships, and you are also highlighting the importance, or the opportunity, I should say, of growth. Uh, but in order to get there, uh, we need to figure out uh, a lot of practical things, one of them being financing. Um, so, Marcelo, if you could please uh, share with us uh, how the capital
0: for this project was secured. Sim, realmente, são ações, né, um trabalho dessa magnifica
1: So, a work of this magnitude requires a high investment in both equipment and also in logistics, because they are remote regions that have a logistical cost and a more complex work. So, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the context just to have a broader understanding for those listening to this podcast. With all these challenges, we always seek partnerships with sponsors funders and many international institutions for our action with energy. This is because we understood that it was necessary to also do an action to contribute to the formulation of public policies, right? Because we're talking about a territory of 2.8 million hectares. So comparing with countries, it's similar to Belgium. And that's 1,500 miles of navigable rivers. So there are lots of challenges. To give some more context, until 2003, public policies that were aimed at facilitating access to electricity to communities in remote areas were very rare. Those are the communities outside the national grid, which includes most indigenous peoples. Even though energy is a basic right that people should have, it was being left aside. But in 2003, there was a large program of universalization of access that was called Luis para Todos which means light for all that distributed energy, mostly through distribution networks wires to many communities that were excluded. The initial goal of this project was to provide energy to around 10 million people. But with the actions in the field, it was realized that this number was higher and the program ended up benefiting about 17 million people. As I mentioned before, to access places in the Amazon is not easy, therefore, Many people were excluded from these goals of universalization of this program because it was not possible to reach them with the conventional technology because it would be very expensive and unfeasible. So it is estimated that there are almost 1 million people without access to electricity in the Amazon. This is an advanced estimate in a recent study by the Institute of Energy and Environment. However, in practice, this number may be higher, also because the population census fails in those regions, and even with an aggravating factor that this data will not be updated this year. The government, in a continuity of Light for All, thought of a program called More Light to the Amazon, which provides services for these communities outside the national grid. This will bring huge challenges because there are more than 400 indigenous lands in the Amazon, and around 170 different peoples. Additionally, there are numerous riverside communities and other traditional peoples, like Quilombola. So, it will be a big process to diagnose and understand this reality and dialogue with these peoples in order to be able to serve them. The government program is coming up, but we are still in the initial step. We have to monitor and contribute to it to be successful in its ultimate goal, which is to bring access to people and at the same time enhance sustainable productive activities in the region. So, within this gap that I mentioned about public policies and the demand for energy in the regions where we work, we built a wide network of relationships with partners who are funders and also partners who bring technical support.
0: So, lacuna that I citei about policies and the demand for energy in the regions where it's so
3: fascinating to hear how the different policies make an impact or lack thereof at a community level, and I think that this is really comparable to some of the stories we've heard on this series, and what ex- communities experience here, um, there are often groups or people that get left behind, and this needs to change. Uh, and clean energy the clean energy transition globally presents an opportunity to do things differently. So hearing about work that Marcelo does and other folks like him are doing to fill these gaps and change the system is it's really moving.
0: Que, que organiza as ações internas no território, que faz a gestão territorial, Que organiza o plano de gestão, a governança interna.
1: This entire this support network has been meeting the demands of the communities and we were able to create a project that was based on serving communities in terms of energy access for health matters, water for school, communications, collective cooperation and also production. So these are common demands and with this project, we can serve 84 communities and empower 102 people to become technicians in photovoltaic energy. We benefited approximately 7,670 people in the Xingu indigenous territory and also in the Panada indigenous territory, which is another indigenous land in Mato Grosso. It was essential to to build local capacity so they would be able to do all of this themselves because bringing people from outside, it would be more expensive. Additionally, Bringing external people would not give them technological appropriation, resilience, and the ability to operate the local systems.
0: Uh, Wow,
2: very, very fascinating. So, so Marcelo, please excuse me here, but uh, we're adding another tally to the SDG count uh, because uh, SDG eight, decent work and economic growth. You're you're highlighting not only is it cheaper in the end, um, and you know more wise to do it this way, but we're also empowering community members themselves and and local people to get involved and participate, and and the kind of morale that that brings, and and you know building something that a community could be proud of for themselves as well is is super. Super awesome. And again, like like what Freddie was even saying, a a paradigm shift to what was uh, done with large-scale energy projects in the past. Here we have an opportunity to engage more directly with the communities uh, on their clean energy projects. Um, And so speaking of all the SDGs, right, the, the fundamental foundation of it all is basically to bring the idea of what sustainability actually looks like. And so, Marcelo, I'd really like to hear your views on sustainability and how that mindset was integrated into the programa Jingu.
1: So, this term is already part of the daily practice of indigenous peoples. In the traditional ways of life, this term is based on on what we see as sustainability, and this way of life provides great social and environmental services. This way of living preserves forests through the management of biodiversity and contributes to life on the planet. But when you think about energy, you have to weigh the impacts of each technology and analyze the best solution. The transmission lines, for example, in the Amazon context, have indirect impacts like deforestation, and also the source of this energy that comes through the transmission lines can be from non-renewable sources. So this is an impact we have in mind. The use of diesel in generators is a reality in the Amazon as well. Many communities or cities depend on the use of diesel to generate energy and power cities or communities. It has direct impacts because it's a fossil fuel, so the emissions and even the transport of this diesel to reach local and remote communities has a lot of impacts. So we are seeing this, but diesel is a widely distributed source in the Amazon and has technological appropriation and reliability. So it is part of the transition because it's not out of the sudden that people will be able to operate other systems and get everything in a remote location, so it's still part of the transition. However, we have to look at local solutions that may be biomass or photovoltaic, wind, hydro, and think about the autonomy that this can bring to communities. It is very important to have local technical training for operation and maintenance. And also think about the impacts that each technology has had on its production and also on the installation. Also think what's going to be the slightest impact and which is going to be the most appropriate solution from a technological point of view. And what people will understand and be able to operate because this is also essential. The community management also has to be well discussed because it involves how the equipment is used and the rules to use it. For example, who is responsible for the maintenance when the equipment should or should not be used? This understanding also brings social control over the use of the equipment, which is important in the life of equipment, so it's not being used beyond its technical limits. But thinking about sustainability, we still have a lot to keep in mind and move forward. But those are areas that I mentioned, like technological appropriation, community management, operation, they're all essential. And we always seek to follow them to bring a sustainability of usage and not just focusing on
0: impacts. Wow, I
3: mean, James has the SDGs going through my mind, but when I hear you speak, Marcelo, it just makes me think of such a different way of doing things. And that is what decolonizing power is about at the end of the day, because you're really getting just to the heart and and breaking things down to a point where it's all about the human impact and the sustaining and the environmental impact, of course, and sustaining that. So I think it's really incredible. Like even when you think about industry innovation and infrastructure as an in SDG, SDG 9, you're talking about doing it in a way that is not appropriative and that is taking care of everyone and every living thing involved. So it's just so so incredible to hear your words and uh yeah, super appreciative for you sharing this story with us. Um, were there any final points that you would like to add?
0: Sim. Tem assim, o momento atual, né, de De pandemia que a gente tá vivendo.
1: Yes, uh, there is the current moment of the pandemic that expands the need for access to electricity, which is essential for maintenance and mitigation actions. Communication is essential at this moment because any health problem that someone has, they can't communicate it. The communication I mentioned here is not only internet and telephone, but also by solar-powered radios. They have a communication network between the villages, so they can communicate via central points and provide all health support for emergencies. The access to water is also important, that comes from a renewable source with local generation, in order not to rely on external fuels. There are other general conditions to confront this pandemic, of course, but energy is a huge part of it.
0: E assim são condições gerais para enfrentar a pandemia e a... E energia
2: faz parte dele. Wow, Marcelo, that's that's some really, really interesting insights. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of thoughts, and there's a lot to unpack there. Um, if we if we had more time, I would most certainly love to talk to you, even write a book, perhaps, about the all. There's, there's so much. There's so much here. And so that's one of the things that I also wanted to also mention, was that despite, you know, the the awesomeness of the SDGs in, in trying to encompass everything that that is to be ultimately sustainable development, there's some hidden elements to it. And I think, you know, that piece that we're uncovering, leaving no one behind, um, and incorporating an Indigenous worldview, for example, as we pursue achieving those goals is so important. Um, and I can't stress that enough about how much um, like you've shed on the interconnectedness of energy, and uh, and ultimately of our, of all our relations. Um, and if I just can also just share one more thing, uh, my grandmother was telling me before interconnectedness in in our language uh, or relationships more generally, Wakotuin is how we carry ourselves in this world, in this uh, in this life that we all have together, I suppose. And um, you know, maintaining those balances between everything, um, you know, that there's, there's definitely a cause and effect to everything and maintaining that balance with everything. I think that there's definitely a wisdom into um, looking into the, the interconnectedness of everything, especially with energy development. We clearly have seen here today that uh, energy is interwoven into every, almost every single aspect of our livelihoods. And so we should definitely be very wise and thoughtful. When, when pursuing uh, projects. So, so thank you so much for, for your time and the wisdom and the stories that you've shared with us today.
3: James, our thoughts could not be more aligned and really appreciate you sharing those incredible points. And uh, the beautiful word wakotuan from uh, your, your teaching from your cookum It's it's so lovely uh, and such a, a beautiful way of life. And I think that the connectedness of people, it's, it's so incredible to me that we were able to share this interview with everyone. And it's a very huge thank you to Leone for making this happen, for reaching out because we wouldn't have, because of the language barrier, we wouldn't have... Um, been able to speak and hear these incredible words from Marcelo and and from this community. And like James said, there are groups all around the world doing amazing work. And um, if we can use the technology resources that we have and and really look at that connectedness to learn from each other and share best practices and knowledges and ways of knowing, it's just going to make this transition that we're experiencing, um, worth it. I think, yeah, it's pretty beautiful.
2: You're, you're reminding me of of uh, of something I've I've been thinking about. Um, that clean energy starts with good energy. <laughs> you know, I completely agree with you, Freddie. And you know, this, this time that we spent together, indeed, it's, it's been so amazing. And there becomes that fostering that good energy between each other in an effort, you know, eventually, uh, achieving even more clean energy projects in the future.
3: Yeah, I love it. Uh, And we're gonna take Leone out of the Marcelo role here, uh, and just hear from her because she's the one who interviewed Marcelo. And uh, there's obviously not every word can be translated into English. So Leone, Maybe just if you could share some of, some of the highlights, maybe something you learned from the interview and, and just your perspectives as well. We would love to hear them.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Freddie. Thank you, James. Hearing your comments throughout this whole interview was incredible. Doing the voiceover for Marcelo was such a special opportunity for me. When I was doing the interview with him, I could see the passion and the motivation, not only through his voice, but also through his face. He had his camera on and I could see how passionate he was about the work that he is doing. So I hope I translated that through my voice as well. I hope so. And moving, actually moving to Canada and starting working at ICE, it opened my mind to the need to bring indigenous voices to the forefront of climate conversations. And that also brings me to the program that I work for, Generation Power, that is bringing the indigenous youth, empowering them with the techniques, the skills, and everything they need to bring it back to their community. It shows the good work, as James said, the good energy and everything that we're doing here and how it's all connected. And in the end of the day, uh, when we finish working, we know that we are doing something good, something that has a meaningful impact. So thank you so much Freddie and James for the opportunity to record and do the voiceover for this interview. I've definitely learned a lot from you two and from Marcelo as well. Thank you so much. It was an amazing, incredible opportunity.
3: And we are so grateful for you and your words, Leone. And folks, if you're listening, please do look into that Generation Power program at generationpower.ca. It's a truly innovative and game-changing program and there's such a strong, dedicated, inspiring team behind it. So please do keep an eye out.
2: Make it a mission to make a transition.
3: and in our next interview we will be hearing from two community-based organizations working directly with citizens of Uganda to support really unique solutions and technologies for cleaner energy everywhere so please give us a listen in a few weeks time and we look forward to connecting with you all again hi hi and thank you
2: This podcast is produced by Indigenous Clean Energy, with production assistance and edits by Alexandra Jericho, music by Quintin Kondo, cover art by Tara Miller, and the many other souls who have supported and made it possible. We are grateful for you all. Thank you. Hi, hi.